as a nation, we have lots of hot topics. Don't get too uneasy. I'm not going to go after some of the hot, hottest ones, but uh, one of them is, if you don't know this, is in the world of those who are incarcerated. Uh, you've already learned enough that I could tell you that we as a church believe that those who are incarcerated, those, those who are imprisoned, should know who Jesus is. And so we have a location at the local prison in Rapid City, but there, there, is, a, uh, there is a bad statistic that you're probably familiar with. They say, according to what I read, two out of three people who go to jail and get released will go back to jail. That's not good. And I know you that you know that. And, and perhaps you even say, oh, oh, and I know why. I mean, we've got lots of reasons and explanations. Could be a circle of friends, family. It could be culture. In fact, some would say it's just where they come from and, and the oppression there and but I tell you, uh, psychologists have actually said we know why. They've asked the folks, studied the folks who go to jail, leave, go back to jail. The overwhelming reason? Shame. Shame is what actually keeps the cycle going. Because they'll get released and maybe themselves feel like they don't deserve to be released. Or maybe it's the, the friends or the family that say you should still feel bad and feel the shame. And so they live this imprisoned life. Let me give you the definition. To imprison someone is to simply confine someone. To be confined, right? So if I were to ask you, which I'm not, if I were, but I'm not, ask you if you've ever been imprisoned, some of you would say, yes, I have. You know, that's my past. Some of you would lie and be like, I'm not telling you at all or confessing that to anyone around me. And some of you would be like, nope, because I didn't get caught, right? <laughs> but if I were, which I'm not, but if I were to ask you, uh, have you ever been imprisoned? I can tell you the right answer. Every single one of us should actually say, yep. I need to show you it this way. Let's pretend you and I were in jail together, which would be somewhat awkward, we all have to admit. <laughs> There's different, what I would call, bars you could put in the cell, one of them being just flat-out insecurity. If you don't know this about you or the person next to you, uh, we live in one of the most insecure times ever. People wake up, look in the mirror, and hate it. People go through their day and can't stand themselves. Self-esteem is at an all-time low, I believe, personally. In fact, I rarely meet someone. I rarely meet someone who is just full of, of confidence, not arrogance, confidence, knowing who they are. Most of us have to admit that we have these insecurities. And if you don't know what insecurity does to you, it confines you. It literally keeps you from experiencing the full life because you can't, you don't feel like you're good enough or smart enough or good looking enough or whatever. Like you can't, you don't meet the standards that you wish you did. Insecurity will rob you of your freedom. Selfishness. Selfishness will get you confined very quickly. Now follow me on what I mean by selfishness. It's when you think the day should give you what you deserve always. It's, it's when the, deser the, the credit, the, the, the appreciation, the, 
the acknowledgement that you're like, I, I deserve it. And, and rightly so, you might deserve it. And you don't get it. And you're like, no, no, no. It's when the day has to go your way, right? Always. Do you know if you lead your life that way, that's called selfishness. If everything has to be your way, done your way. And I know some of you are like, that sounds like my home. <laughs> that's selfishness. And many of us are confined by everything having to be our way. Um, there's a really painful one that I'll just simply call loss. Perhaps you've lost someone that you love dearly. Maybe even in a relationship. The relationship dissolved and it's a loss. And, and it's led you to where like, you just haven't really been able to walk through it anymore. And you find, you find yourself, because of that relationship that's over now, you feel confined. Maybe it is the quite literal loss of someone you love. They passed away. In fact, that's my world. I regularly will sit with someone, cry with them, as they tell me, Pastor David, I don't know if I can keep going. I understand exactly what they're saying and have felt that. But what I've seen is many people say, I don't know if I can go any further, and, and they actually prove that to be right. They, they live confined, and they stop in that moment. They lose that person, and even though that person never would have wanted that to happen, they just stay in prison. The last one you have to admit to. Uh, if you don't, you're a liar and you're in church right now, and that's awkward too. It's called failure. Every one of us have failed. Every one of us have, have had a moment where we didn't, we didn't make it. Maybe it's as simple as school. Maybe you took the test. You bombed the test. You wanted to blame the teacher or the weather or whatever. <laughs> But you failed, and it hurt your grade, and now you've got to work even harder, and you find yourself more nights confined, doing more homework, doing extra credit. Uh, maybe it was a relationship that failed. I think most of us immediately went to the idea of just a, a dumb thing that we did. A failure is typically when you hurt someone, you betrayed someone, you did something you shouldn't have done, you, you, you broke trust, and you failed, you failed it. And in many of us, in the midst of failure, we just lock in. In fact, just think about how much of your past has you living a life like this. You see, see how difficult it is to do relationships this way? But this is quite, although you cannot see it, many of us, this is our life. Trying to function, have a fulfilling life. And it, in fact, if you've ever found yourself in, in, in this kind of a setting where you recognize through selfishness or failure or whatever, and you're like, I don't know what to do. And so, you, so maybe you even cry out to God, and you're not even sure what you believe about God, but you, but you cry out to God, like, hey, hey, do something. I, I, I love Psalms. You, God, don't put off my rescue. It's a very eloquent way of saying, Help. Uh, hurry and help me. Don't, don't let them cut my throat. Don't let those mongrels devour me. If you, if you don't show up soon, I'm done for. Gored by the bulls, meat for the lions. You may not have said those exact words, but you're like, mm, it's pretty close. When the relationship was over, when you screwed up, and no matter what you believe about God, you cried out to God, God, in essence, Break me out. Get, get me out of this. And uh, sometimes it feels like he's silent when you do that. If you're not willing to admit it, I will. 
where you've maybe screwed up, done something you shouldn't have, or, or you played out in life, and you're like, oh, no. And then you cry out, God, God, break me out. Fix this. And it's like silence. And it feels like God is rejecting you or ignoring you when actually, even though I would tell you God loves you so much, he refuses you this breakout. I could tell you why. A breakout has a tendency to, to lead to running, hiding, and worry. If you break out, that's fine. Maybe you've got a good plan and you're brilliant and God is a part of it. He breaks you out and that's what you want. And now you're no longer on this side of the bars. You're on the other side of the bars. But do you understand that still means that there is an injustice? That still means there's a penalty that hasn't been paid. And that's why God is, I think, refusing to break us out because that you and I have to live in shame, hiding from what happened. You can play it out in a restaurant if you want. You can play it out. Let's say you actually went to a restaurant, ordered a meal, ate the meal, and then you know what they always do at the end of the meal? I really hate it. There's this white piece of paper that gets brought to you like it's a gift. Some people put chocolate to sweeten it up. I'm like, no, I still see the white piece of paper. It's got numbers on it. I don't like those numbers. Growing up, I heard the term, I did not do it just for those of you who are wondering, called dine and dash. For those of you who don't know it, I'm not condoning it, but it's where you get a meal, eat a meal, and then you just run out. Some of you got away, you did this, and you, you got out, and you, you got away, and you're like, yeah, I got away. No, you didn't. Actually, no, you didn't. Because if you have any soul left, there is a little bit of guilt that some going, I'm not sure that was the best thing to do. Because someone had to pay for that meal. Maybe the owner did. Someone had to. Why doesn't? God just break us out. It's because justice requires a payment. Someone's got to pay for. Someone's got to remove the debt, take care of the penalty. And we've got all these things in, in, in life, but I can tell you another hot topic is the death penalty itself. Different states uh, do different things, but most of us can say, you know what, so for some of the worst crimes ever, the bad ones, like the real bad ones, perhaps someone's life now has to be ended because of the bad that they did, right? And, and the death penalty has always been like the most extreme way to, to deal with something that was wrong. And if you don't know this about history since the beginning... A sin has always required the death penalty. In fact, even when I say that to you, you're perhaps going, that seems a bit extreme. <laughs> like that seems like, okay, just a, li a little lie, a little, a little sin, like the death penalty. Well, God is holy and perfect. And so when that separates, it, it requires a death. It always has. God doesn't break you and I out of our... Uh, or jail cells, because he wants you to not have shame, and he wants there to be justice. The Bible describes God as a just God. Did you know that? A just God. So he says, I do love you. When you, when you cry out to God, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, break me out. Oh, he's responding, but he responds in a way that you need to understand. It has everything to do with Easter. So here's what he did. He sent Jesus. Knowing the death penalty had to occur for all that you and I have ever done. And Jesus, fully God, fully man, came and lived life. But his agenda was to die and to die as justice for your sin and my sin. 
No matter how low or high you view sin, it's required death. And Jesus said, I'll do it. So I'll tell you a story if you don't know much about Jesus. Jesus came and he eventually was, uh, well, he taught that he was the only way to heaven. Some people didn't like that. The religious people didn't like that. And so they, they did this pretend, fake, illegal trial in the middle of the night that was against all the laws that they had. They convicted him. It was all false. And they beat him nearly to death, but that didn't even do it for them. So they wanted to get rid of him. So they did what you know. They took his body. They got some nails. And they hammered his limbs to pieces of wood. Now, you and I know it as a, as a cross, I, and I know it's a glorified death. We, we like, no, no, call it a cross, Pastor David. No, it was pieces of wood. It was a torture device designed to shame the person being crucified. There's that word again, shame. So Jesus attached to pieces of wood, being shamed. He died. You can't argue that he died, actually. I mean, to be intellectually honest, you have to assess and actually own the fact that, that he truly died. The Romans documented it. The, the Jewish folks did. The Christians did. Oh, he lived, and he was killed. In fact, they did what you would expect to do. When someone is dead, you go lay that body to rest. And a, a rich dude said, you can use my tomb. So they took his body to that tomb, but things changed there. The leader, Pilate, the guy in charge, he said, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Now that just changed everything, and you may have missed it. I don't know if you're new to this, but that just changed everything. You see, as soon as Pilate ordered that, the tomb changed. I, I need you to see this. I need you to understand this. Jesus Jesus was killed. They brought him to a tomb, and according to the direction of the leader, they were to seal the tomb. Now, they sealed it with a giant rock. And when I say giant rock, experts say, and I agree, I've seen the size of the rock, it would require 10 to 20 strong men to move it. You better believe it was sealed. But what gets me is this. They seal it, and then there's guards put there. Not normal. So by definition, just help me track with this. They have Jesus. They put him in an enclosed setting. They seal it, lock it up, and put guards. That sounds like a jail cell to me. As soon as Pilate ordered that to be done to the tomb, he made it a jail cell. And many times we look at this in this tomb like, oh, yeah, that's neat. No, it was a jail cell. Jesus took on your shame, my shame. He died. And then to make it even worse, he let himself be put into a jail cell, the tomb. This has even caught on. Uh, if you don't know this, in, in Manhattan, New York, a long time ago, they built a detention center, a jail, and they even called it the tombs. They modeled it after the tombs, and it, uh, different, different people have been in there, different lawyers talk about how atrocious the setting was, how it was disgusting, they crammed people in, it was horrible, and they thought, well, what's the worst name we can give it? All the, all the tombs. The scene of Easter is a tomb, a jail cell. 
justice. Justice. But that's not the whole story. You know that's not the whole story. Early on Sunday morning, on the first day of the week of the new day, when it was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. They went to the tomb to visit it. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. I love the sit on it part. It's what I would have done. I'd be like, look what I just did. Nowadays, I'm like, take a picture. Right? See, sometimes we read the Bible, you're like, yeah, David, that's what the Bible says. That's what the scene is. So just read it. No, you've got to understand it. Jesus, fully God, fully man, raises himself back to life. In essence, supernatural power. So why not use some supernatural power to come out of that tomb? I think it's logical to ask that. I mean, there's lots of things I would have done to it, but I mean, he could have just gone from point A to point B and no one knew it and he just did it. But the, but the stone was moved. I don't think it was for him. I don't think it was so he could finally get to where he wanted to go. I think it was so you and I could get to where we need to go. You see, when, when Jesus opened the tomb, he in essence unlocked your cell. It was for you. It wasn't for him. It was, it was for you. He unlocked it in a pretty showy way, too, which I love. But he unlocked it. He opened it up, not as a demonstration to say, that's what I needed, but it was a demonstration to show you what you needed. And so now, if you don't know what it looks like, what, what Easter actually did for you, it wasn't some religion he was going after. It was so, that kind of stuff didn't have to hang over your head. You didn't have to have shame hanging over. You could actually live free. But here's the problem. Uh, we treat what Jesus did like it was a partial payment and not a whole one. In fact, some of you, what I, all I've told you, you're like, that, none of that's brand new. I've heard that, little preacher man. I know that. Yeah. Heard about Jesus loves me. God loves me. And he forgives me grace and mercy. That's what I love about him. Well, then why haven't you owned it? Why is it partial? Why is it like, yeah, I, I hear that. Now i got to work on some stuff too. That's like completely contradicts what happened. Let, let, me, let me show you the Bible. <laughs> so now there is no condemnation. No con- not a little bit that you got to kind of work it out. Community service. No. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Sin has no power over you. And I don't know why many of us are just living like it's got it. Before Jesus ever showed up, about 700 years before he showed up, they said, hey, uh, God's like, I just want to tell you something about what's about to happen to you in 700 years. Uh, this is about Jesus. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. That's interesting. And that's for you. That's for you. I don't know what has you confined in life, but you can be free. But again, 
even though we're free. Many of us just stay in here, don't we? Perhaps out of comfort. Perhaps out of guilt. Huh? I've been there before. Where I just feel like I don't deserve to be out there. I, like what I did was worse than some people. So I, no, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. And when I'm ready, when I'm good, then I'll go out there. Even though we're free, some of us just live here. Makes no sense, frankly, but we're concerned there's a guard out there, a person that's going to remind us of what happened. If you've ever had difficulty accepting your freedom, don't feel shame on top of shame. It's normal. Let me give you some history just to help. World War II, my grandpa fought in World War II. In World War II, uh, over 100 army rangers stormed into a prison camp in the Philippines. Over 500 POWs were there, British and American. The rangers went in there and started sweeping through the whole camp, freeing them. But some of them were like, this is awesome. But they tell us, according to history, many of them ran from the rangers. They didn't know what to do with this. They weren't sure if they could trust them. They had been in the prison camp estimated over three years. Every day, every day, learning and behaving like a prisoner, like a good captive. One ranger talked about, he went up to a guy and was like, hey, let's go. And the guy just literally froze. And the ranger didn't know what to do. I mean, do you, do you, do you grab him? So he said the most logical question, do you want to be free? And it's like... It clicked for the guy. He said, yes, yes. He's like, then come with me. And the rangers, uh, it cleared the camp. Started an over 20-mile hike to get to where they needed to go. Well, the camp was mostly cleared. In the midst of the, the bombs and the bullets, Edwin Rose was working. He was doing his prison job. He was actually cleaning the bathrooms. Unaware of what was happening. Now, if I've been told that a lot of times when you're at war, you hear so many bombs and bullets, you don't always like pay attention to it. You're like, yeah, I've heard that. We're okay. I'm just going to keep doing my job. Well, when he got done cleaning the bathrooms, you think, oh, did he go with the rest? No, he went back to his bunk and laid down on the hay. That, that was his bunk. And he went to sleep. Some of you now think I'm fibbing. Some of you now, you're like... Impossible. Edwin Rose was deaf. And when the rangers came in to free all of them, he's just doing his job so he doesn't get hurt. And then he's exhausted so he goes to bed, doesn't pay attention really to what's going on, and the whole camp is cleared. Um, I'll tell you the rest of the story. Uh, Edwin Rose wakes up. And then realizes something is different, right? And he does recognize what's happened, goes and meets up with the rest of them, and he's freed. I tell you that story because I think you're in the story. And I'm in the story. Some of us, when we're told that, that we're free, we just stare at the guy telling us. I don't know if that's true. Some of us just run from it. 
You ever run from God? Yeah, you don't need to tell me. Yeah, I know you have. I have too. Some of us just close our ears on purpose and say, I don't even want to hear it. So let me ask you a good, I think, Easter question. Will you respond to your freedom? Will you actually live in your freedom? Or are you going to continue to sleep in life, continue to stay imprisoned? You don't have to. It's unlocked. It's open for you to not be consumed by sin. Sin doesn't have to be a part of your life. You can be free. And if you're like, okay, so do I get religious? Do I like start to you know, dress up unlike the pastor not dressing up for Easter? What's up with that? And you're like, what, what, how, how do you and I respond to freedom news? Like, what do we do? Well, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It does not say if you become religious or perfect or memorize the Bible. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith you are saved. Openly declaring. You see that? Openly declaring. It's powerful. If you're missing what that said, uh, Jesus is... So made life like this. This, this, is, this is your life. Your life looks like this. And you can either huddle down in the corner of a prison cell going, when I feel like I deserve it or when I feel like I own, okay, then I'll go out. Anyone and everyone is welcome to walk out. No condemnation, sins forgiven. And what you, what you apply is you openly declare, I'm not my Savior. I can't rescue myself. I'm not perfect. But Jesus, he rescued me. God came for me, died for me, fulfilled justice for me, and he came back to life, showing he has power over death. How will you respond? I want to invite you to a response. I think it's time for us to openly declare. Now, some of you have a long time ago. You're like, I've been following Jesus my my whole life, David, or a long time. And what's this Easter message have to do with me? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. If you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps the message for you is not to re-decide to follow him, but to stop being a guard, keeping people in their prison cells. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Someone hurts you, you're like, "Mm, uh uh-uh, uh-uh. You need to know what you did hurt me, and it was real bad, and so you're just going to stay in there for a while. And many of us serve as guards for people's tombs. There's nothing about Jesus. No, no, stop doing that. Perhaps if you're a follower of Jesus, it's time to let people leave their jail cells. But if you've never decided to follow Jesus, or maybe you did as a kid and you've been running from him, I'm going to challenge you to openly declare. Here's what I want everyone to get, and and I don't have a piece of paper. I was going to have a piece of paper. There's a white piece of paper on the back, seat backs of the the chairs. Get it? It says Easter on one side. And on the other side, there's there's a part for a name. So everyone get a card. If you're wondering, I'm new to this church. Does he mean everyone? I do. I do. I mean absolutely everyone. I'm not going to manipulate you or make you do something weird. But I want everyone to get the card and hold it in your hands. That's all I'm asking. Hold it in your hands. Now, when I'm asked, when I'm asked to declare who I am, well, that usually involves my name. So here's what I'm going to say. If you want to decide to follow Jesus, I'm going to pray with you here in a moment. 
then I, here's what I want. If, if it's real to you, write your name on that card. And then after I pray, there's going to be some volunteers up front. I want you to bring it to them. Openly declaring that you believe Jesus saved you, freed you. Now, if you're like me, I'll have a moment like this where I openly declare. It's like an emotional, spiritual high. And then the next day comes. I'm like, man, that was cool. Man, you remember that moment? Woo! When was that? If you're like me, I need a reminder often to remember of the decisions I've made, of the moments I've had with God. So here, if you're, if you're, if you're brave enough to openly declare today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this is like your first time, or, or you're returning to him, we actually had keys made for you. The key says free on it. And perhaps you'll have a day at work or at school or even at home or by yourself and you'll begin to buy some of the lies from the insecurity, the selfishness, the failures, the loss will begin to creep in. And you need like, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. No, I, I'm a free person. I got the key to prove it. And so I'm going to pray with you. But perhaps you would consider openly declaring today. Bring in your card up. And then getting a key as a reminder. Here's what I'd like you to do. Would you, would you all stand up with me? Just, I'm standing, you stand too. I want to pray with you. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes. God, I believe you have met with us. Lord, I can imagine there are folks listening for the first time ever. They haven't been to church or it's been a long time. I imagine there's folks who have run from you who have rejected you, denied you, turned you off, not listened to you, been back and forth with you. And Lord, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And that gives us freedom. So God, in this moment, we just acknowledge our gratitude. Thank you for it. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never asked God to come into your life, to be a part of your life, just silently, privately say this to him. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for doing life my own way. It's, it's been my own choices. And God, I'm sorry. God, would you come into my life? Forgive all my sins. Take away all my shame. I accept your freedom, the justice. I believe Jesus died for me. He came back to life for me. And I am now yours. Lead me. Fill me. I love you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now you have to forgive me. Uh, we added a kid to our home, and so I talk like a little kid again, and I apologize. We've got four, four kids in the house, and so things get a little hectic. So I, don't want, I want to apply that to this moment. I'm not treating you like a kid. It's just it's where I'm at. Some of you might go on and like, well, when do I bring my card up? Or how's this work? Well, I'm, here's the deal. I'm going to count to three. <laughs> I'm going to count to three, and that's your signal to bring a card up, openly declaring that Jesus is your Savior, gave you your freedom. If you've done this before in the past, you don't have to do this now. But if you haven't, or maybe now you mean it, do that. But I'm going to count to three, and then it's on you. One, 
two, three.